Hey, Rob. Hey, Jeff. Here we are again. Yes, we are. I'm really uh, happy about our opportunity today to, to talk about uh, conflict. I think it's going to be an encouraging, helpful, and very practical way for us to spend some time together. So thanks for yeah. spending this time with me. Yeah, for sure, man. Always enjoy it. And let's just not take any more time. Let's just jump in. So I want to read to you this quote that I came across years ago in a uh, business communications book, and I found it fascinating. So let's see what your thoughts are on it. The authors say this about something they call the inevitability of conflict principle. They say, we believe that conflict is not simply a part of life. Conflict is life as usual. The inevitability of conflict principle runs contrary to the idea or the delusion that if we look long and hard, we can find people with whom we can share conflict-free lives. It means that we should cease our efforts to find perfect people and learn how to manage the conflicts we are sure to have with those closest to us. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, I think I'll start with a, a little confession. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. Right here for everyone to hear. Go, go right ahead. So probably my biggest idol is peace. Hmm. I really struggle with uh, combative people or abrasive people. But, you know, for all my efforts uh, to manufacture a peaceful environment. Yeah, how are you doing some, with that? For some reason, <laughs> I don't know what why this is, um, conflict arises, um, whether from me or from others around me. Um, you know, we live in such a conflict-riddled society, yeah. conflict-riddled world, because we are conflict-oriented people, and it's um, it can be frustrating Particularly, again, because my, my idol, I really just want, can't we, yeah. can't we all just get along? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yet, um, from a societal standpoint, you see, you know, school shootings and church shootings, riots, social unrest, all those kinds of yeah. things. And then, you know, that's, you know, that's out there. Then you come a little closer and uh, you think about things that take place in your home you know, you know, I want, I want this seat. I want to sit here during, during our devotional time. I want to sit here during the reading time. I, I want to sit here during the movie. Uh, I want to hold the controller during the movie. Um, you know, I, I want the biggest piece of cake or the last piece of cake. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, or um, usually in my house, there's no like confession of that. It's just, it disappears. <laughs> They just take it. Yeah. Yeah. And that mightn't, in fact, uh, cause other conflict. Correct. Who took Correct. The last exactly. Piece of cake? Where, where is it? Yep. <laughs> or, you know, or if you think about like on cleaning day, like I don't want to do that job. Yeah. That I did that job last time. Exactly. Can't he or she do that job? Yeah. So, like, these things just come at us yeah. all yeah. the time. You know, those are maybe less important things. Those aren't like conflicts that, that are deep and hurtful, it's right. just little symptoms of conflicts that come later on that, that can actually do a lot of damage to us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's it's unavoidable, as you said. In a fallen world, in our selfish, fallen hearts, man, these things are inevitable, mm. right? It's That's the truth. And, and we can go, as the quote talked about, it is this kind of idea sometimes that propels us along as if somehow we can find people with whom we can get along perfectly. Well, if I just leave this church and go to another church, or if I leave this job and go to another job, or leave this marriage and go to another marriage, I can find someone with whom I can get along perfectly. And that's just not the case. While, hey, you might get along a little better with certain people than others, might be some more compatibility, that's true, but you're never going to get along perfectly with, with anyone because we're all, we all have that sinful selfishness and, and that 
breeds conflict. So, so we can't, we can't escape it. It's a, it's a reality, right? And you and I haven't fought yet. Yeah, not yet. We, I'm sure, it, I'm sure it'll happen. Yeah, I'm sure it'll happen. Um, I was thinking, you know, you mentioned our households, the things, you know, raising kids are both raising kids and, and in the day to day, you just, you're constantly managing conflict and in ministry, right? I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like my whole job is just breaking up fights. I'm mm. playing referee so often, and I'm sure you feel that way too. So, so again, it just speaks to how um, pervasive this is and it's just inescapable in this world. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture. We're going to look at James 4, which is, you know, the Bible addresses conflict in so many places yes. and, and kind of illustrates it from cover to cover all throughout. God's very honest and very clear about what is true of us in this world. So we see a lot of it in scripture. God doesn't like sterilize it. He, he shows it to us in mm-hmm. living color. Uh, so we're going to look at one passage, though, that is probably the most pointed uh, description and explanation of conflict in the New Testament. It's in James chapter 4, and it begins with some verses, and I'll have you read them, but these oh, sure. these first three verses here kind of get to the, the root of it. Like, what's the root of conflict? Where does it come from? So go ahead. Yeah, so James starts in verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your lusts. There you go. So so how does James describe it? What's he say is right at the core of it. Yeah, it's, it's my own passions. And and I think it's so interesting that he uses the, the word war. Our passions are at mm-hmm. war within us. The word is the word for strategy. Mm-hmm. Our, our passions strategize within us. And Peter takes that to another level in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he says that our passions or our lusts wage war against our souls. Yeah. So this, this conflict that we have that arises from us first does damage to us. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I mean, we think it's we, we want things because they seem to hold out for us some promise of pleasure or fulfillment or something. And we just came out of Ecclesiastes, right? We were talking about that, that endless craving. So we want, we want, we want. And and uh, ironically, it's like we're actually harming ourselves. That that human endeavor is actually harmful in some ways. Now, I want to say, to be clear, because I think it's important to, to think of these things in the sort of the, the layers of truthfulness here, in one sense— it is good that we have desires. Mm-hmm. It's good they propel us through life. We have goals. We have ambitions. That we we go out and accomplish things. That's good. And and it's we desire to have relationships with people. We desire lots of things that are good. But there's another level that James is talking about here when they become excessive, right? They become excessive, and then um, they become destructive along with that. Yeah. So so the exactly as as and as they become destructive, they destroy me. I've got a problem within me. And then it comes out, out from me. So it starts here and then it goes out. Yep. And now I'm conflicting with someone outside of me. And of course, I'm not the problem, right? Of course. No, it's the other guy's fault. <laughs> it's always yeah. the other guy's yeah, fault. Right. I don't realize that the problem has ar- arisen from within me. I think it arose from within them right. because they're in the way of me getting what I want. Yep. And if, right. and if I 
if I could just get them out of the way, I'd get what I want and I'd feel better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's interesting here in James, we won't go that far in the following context, but he does talk about judging others, right? And Mm -hmm. you see this in Galatians, you see it in Romans, this idea that at the root of our sin problem, we have these desires. Then right along with that is this judging. It's like, I want what I want and I'm going to go after what I want. And then if someone gets in the way of what I want, now they're judged, they're condemned, they're the problem. And it goes back to the Garden of Eden, the finger pointing thing, right? It, It does. And you know, it runs contrary to what God has made us to be. Like if things were in order mm-hmm. and things were running correctly and I weren't sin cursed, but say spirit filled, I've, I've, I've been given a new heart because I've yep. been born again and, and God's spirit's filling me. Instead of being craving all the things that I want, I would then re- really be one that would be seeking to be a peacemaker Instead of you know making myself at peace and my own world at peace and getting things that I want for me, the way that God has made us in Himself is to actually offer that peace to other people. So where I see conflict, it's not instead of saying, "Well, you're in the way of my peace." It's actually no. God has given me the opportunity to offer this person who's in need, like I am, peace. So we right. think like of a passage like Romans twelve eighteen that says, "As much as it depends on you." live peaceably with all men. Like This is what we've been called to do, which obviously of our own accord, we don't have the ability to do that. Right. But the Lord can give us in himself the ability to, to be an, an avenue of peace. And that's a perfect segue for where we want to go next, which is, hey, our understanding is that these horizontal conflicts that play out interpersonally with others begin with, with a vertical problem. And that's where that's where James goes when he says in verse 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Those terms, whether it's adulterous, he, he uses that term, um, the idea of friendship with the world. I mean, the adulterous term especially brings to mind, you know, the intimacy of a marriage, and it's kind of like this betrayal that's taken place. Well, he's, he's really saying, hey, a, a betrayal has taken place. In fact, he's alluded to it early, in the earlier verses when he says, hey, you, you don't have because you don't ask. And it's this idea of, hey, God knows what we should have. He, he's given us what we should have. And we always, humanly, we want more than what we have, which reveals that not only do we have a problem within ourselves and a problem that's aimed at other people in one sense or another, but really we have this vertical issue where we're not really believing that we have what we should have, that we have enough. We're not believing that. And God says that that's a manifestation of spiritual adultery. That's that's your infidelity manifesting itself and your friendship with the world, your affections for the world. And so he's revealing, hey, th- this is the essence of the problem. It, it's kind of, it's really vertical in nature, uh, and we would be really stuck if not for where the passage goes next. But before we go there, anything else you want to say about that? Yes, as as our cravings reveal a war, I think the first place that we have to understand that that war comes from is is that we are warring against a good God Mm -hmm. who offers to us true and lasting peace. And instead of embracing that and, and being thankful for that, we, we find a different way and we hurt ourselves and then we hurt other people. 
we have this conflict out here and we want to we want to deal with it out here okay if if this person will just fix this problem i will have peace but god is revealing in verse 4 right that really your problem is not them your problem is your perception of who i am mm-hmm. and if we will allow him to change that perspective perspective and that perception as again you're going to go to in, in a moment here he can put that war that we have inside of us and make peace. And if there's peace there from him, that he settles that war that's within me, when, when there's peace there, that's when I have a strong operating base mm-hmm. to be able to offer peace to other people. Yeah. And so the outside conflicts change yeah. a little bit. Yeah, right. And 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 they can, it can be fruit of that provision of God, life of God. You know, in and in and through us, but it begins with that vertical recognition that hey, th- this is what's really going on. You know, there's an opportunity here. There's a proverb that says, you know, uh, guard your hearts or watch mm-hmm. over your hearts with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. Or I think that's the, maybe the King James I'm reverting back to, but it's that idea of hey, everything comes from there. And as conflict arises within us, and we're feeling hostile toward another person. That's a great opportunity. That's the check engine light. Hey, what's going on here from a vertical standpoint? And and in some level, I must not be aware of or uh, appreciative of what God has done for me, what he's provided for me. And and look, life can be really hard. We can all find ourselves stuck in, in conflict, in cravings. We are susceptible to that. All of us are, right? But these are opportunities to regroup Say, wait a minute, what's what's going on here exactly? Why am I being controlled, enslaved by whatever this craving is? And going back to what you said earlier, if my fixation is on the other person and how they stand in the way of it or how they've wronged me in some sense, I'm, I'm missing that opportunity. And, and we could always point to other people because they too are sinners. We could always find things to point out and, and we wouldn't be wrong necessarily. We might be very accurate in our assessment, but what we're missing we're not seeing is our own contribution and we're not seeing our own our own heart right yeah and, and there'll always be more opportunity for conflict out there so like maybe you can resolve this one that's on your yeah. the forefront of your mind okay yeah. you've really wrong wronged me I'm gonna confront you uh, I'm gonna find you know you you to repent so that we can be okay but generally speaking there's just gonna be another one of those and another one yeah. of those and another one of those that's an unending battle um, in this life yep but there is a person of peace that we can go to right that we can resolve our greatest conflict with and give us a settlement of that that doesn't it doesn't have to be readdressed over and over again mm-hmm. when when we recognize that our problem arises from the wars within us that only God can settle and we go to him and he gives us peace, that relationship unendingly uh, is one of, of peace and, and, and never of conflict again. Right, right. Well, let's, let's go there in the text that as, as James describes that, right, in his, in his particular terms. You know, there's different ways Paul would talk about it, Peter would talk about it. This is James' way of, of talking about it. When he goes next to this idea of, um, he says, do you, do you think the scriptures speak to no purpose? He, that is God, jealously desires the spirit which he made to dwell in us. Like this is God. I mean, we have our desires that 
run us in all sorts of harmful directions. God's desire is good. It's for our good. It's it's the Spirit and the Spirit's provisions for us, right? His fullness, His love, His joy, His peace. He is, He's made the Spirit to dwell in us. Then he goes on. But He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, that, that was kind of a mouthful. That's quite mm-hmm. a bit. But he's saying, hey, come, come back to God. Recognize the vertical nature of this. God invites us to come to him, to find in him a greater grace. When you think of that, if the beginning, the origin of this my host, is my hostility against my maker, and yet he says, hey, look, you, you come to me and I will grant you grace. I give you what you don't deserve. You're the one that's kind of, kind of the, the cause of this problem, but I'm the solution to this problem through Christ. I take care of it. And then he says, uh, submit, humble yourself, resist the devil. And what's the devil's lie from the beginning? You you can you can have what you want. <laughs> you yep. can have it your way right away. Yep. At Burger and, King. Yep. No. Yep. And and God didn't give you enough. God right. held down on you. Yeah. You know, he, God, he's God's not good. He's God's not, he's not kind. good. He yep. does, he's holding out the best yep. things from yep. you. Yep. So it's so isn't it amazing. I mean, all these different areas of life, which all of our lives are littered with conflict of all kinds. And it's all so simple in terms of what's really going on underneath it. And then we have a God who says, Yeah. This is an opportunity. Come back to me. Draw near. Right? Yeah, so what is what is he offering as the solution to our conflict? Well, he's offering grace yep. in this passage, but ultimately he's offering himself, right? Yeah. And and that's how Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 2. He talks in verses 11 and 12 about how you before you came to know Christ, you were outside, you were without God, you were without hope in the world. But you who were outside... He has brought near through the blood of Christ, and he preached peace to you who were outside and to those who were near. Then he says in verse 14 of that passage, he himself is our peace. peace. He's our peace. And that gives us access to the Father through one spirit. So he's talking, he's a very Trinitarian there, Mm -hmm. that Jesus being our peace, but then we we can go into the presence of the Father, and the Spirit is is part of this whole process. But in the in the process of all of this, he's t- saying that Jews and Gentiles, those people that are at conflict, yeah, right. can be made oil one. And water. Oil and water, exactly, man. couldn't be and, more op- opposite. Opposite. Yep. And the result of that, yep. uh, or the the cause of that union that takes place between those that are oil and water, is the fact that Jesus Christ Himself is our peace. In the midst of my conflict, God offers himself to resolve it. Yep. And when we say for that to play out horizontally and and the fruit of that union with Christ to to play out horizontally, what happens is we are acquainted with, wow, look at look at how I've been treated by my creator, the mercy that I've been shown. If 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 I'm guilty, if I'm hostile against him, if while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me, I gave him my worst, he's given me his best, mm-hmm. you know, that is going to change. Some people say, as we've talked about before in previous podcasts, people might accuse us, oh, wow, you're, you know, you're maybe over overplaying this grace thing. Like, well, no, that can't be. For one thing, 
We're all like radical sinners in need of radical grace, and thankfully we have it. And right along with that, when you're realizing the radical grace of God, doesn't that change your perspective a bit on the people around you? It changes the lenses through which you see people, right? When you look at them, you kind of see yourself. Hey, you look at them as, yeah, they're guilty. Yeah, sure, they've harmed you. But now I'm remembering, well, look at how God treated me. Mm-hmm. When I'm in that place as the as the oppositional person, right? And and isn't that how we try to talk in our family, right? When 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 we have some kind of a conflict that arises in the home, we start to talk about the fact that yes, your brother or your sister, they need they need mercy, just like you have needed and received mercy. And we've we've all been um in opposition to God and to one another. To others, yeah. And and as you would want them to be willing to forgive you, that's what they need. Yeah. And so we have received the greatest mercy that isn't like, I'll give you mercy up to this point. God doesn't do that. When God gives mercy, he gives it abundantly, fully, mm-hmm. dealing with every one of our sins. He gives it without uh, exception. He gives it all to us. We've experienced it, and that's exactly what we want to be as a channel of that mercy to other people. Yeah, right. And so, right. yeah, I'd, I'd say as as those that have radically rebelled or been greedy or selfish or covetous, we've experienced God's mercy at such a deep level that when we see other people in the midst of their needs, you know, stuck in their own sin, mm-hmm. in darkness, completely uh, not seeing their their foolishness. We don't look at them and say, what a fool you are. We think, man, that poor person is in need of mercy, and they're not looking in the direction of receiving that yeah. mercy. Yeah. Um, and so we we have compassion right. on right. others in the midst of their need. Right. That's born out of that being in that lowly place as a mm-hmm. recipient of of grace, right? We're convinced of that and, and really front and center in that whole thing, whether whether we are aware of it at every moment or not, front and center in that whole story and that whole framework is the person of Christ. And here in James 4, it's interesting. I mean, it's not he's not explicitly mentioned right here in the middle of the context, but the idea of giving greater grace and cleansing our hands, purifying our hearts, we know that that cleansing is found in him. And as we think about Christ, it is truly, truly amazing to think of him entering this world of conflict, conflict all around, surrounded by sinners, selfish, greedy sinners like us, surrounded by him, and his heart's inclination at every moment is to serve, is to put the good of others before his own, is to sacrifice in that way. It's truly mind-boggling to think of his ability to to live that way. And and we say, wow, he's my hope. He's my only hope for that peace, peace with God, peace with other people. It is truly a miracle that comes from the life of, of Christ and who he is. And that's why we, as as guys in our you know middle-aged guys at this point, it's like, yeah, I think we've seen a lot with our own life experience, with people we meet with and counsel. We, we've been driven back over and over to our need for, for God. And, and one last thing, I, a buddy of mine I used to say uh, in Washington, he, he sort of summarized the Christian life this way. And let's see what you think of this. He, he used to say, um, Hey, my my relationship with God drives me to people, and my relationship with people drives me back to God. <laughs> what do you think? It rings true, right? 
one more time for me. My, my relationship with God mm-hmm. drives me in the direction of other people, yep. right? It moves me toward other people. Yes. And my relationship with other people pretty quickly moves me back toward God. Yes, because if 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 it were only one directional, if 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 my relationship with God drove me to people and it and it stayed there, I would be of all men most miserable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but instead, what what I realize is, okay, Lord. Um, in 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 order to deal with my brothers and sisters in Christ or unbelieving friends, yeah, anyone, uh, yeah. correctly, I I need you um, to really shape the way that I see them and the way that I communicate with them, because if it's if it's just Rob coming out, yeah, Rob is going to mess that relationship up because they're broken, I'm broken, I'm going to add brokenness to brokenness, and it's going to be a big mess. But when I see the brokenness that's there, knowing the brokenness that's here, I say, okay, Lord, I know what this feels like. Um, and and in order to properly be a friend to sinners, well, that'd be all of us, but to believers or unbelievers, yep. um, I, I really need you to to mark me and change yeah. me yeah. so I can be a vessel of your grace. So if you think about the fact um, we've received Christ as a gift to bring us peace. And he's the very one that we offer to other people. I don't offer myself as peace, even though I, you know, I love peace. Yeah. I want to, I want to manage peace and I want to offer peace and I want to, you know, operate in a soft way to, to try to broker peace. Yep. That's not going to bring real peace as much as I think I'm pretty nifty at it. Yeah, um, yeah. But the way that I've received peace is through Christ, and the one that I have to offer to other people is the peace of Christ. Um, that, that I think, uh, can be really helpful. Yeah. You know, you, you look at um, our lives and before our salvation, being without hope and, and lost, and the Lord reaching out to us and giving us life through Christ and then giving us peace with him that's settled mm-hmm. and then offering peace to other people. And some people receive Christ, right? Some people receive life and some people are are impacted positively by that peace. And other people just remain mm-hmm. where they are, no matter how wonderfully we present Christ or how poorly we present Christ, they still remain where they are. But what's really encouraging to me is that God doesn't leave it there. It's like as if I'm in charge of mm-hmm. being able to make this peace take place. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm very thankful that there's a coming day when the person of peace will bring everlasting peace. He offers himself, and then, he, and then he's going to bring it to pass one day. This is really good news to me. Yeah, absolutely, man. And to know there will be eternal peace, which it's hard to even conceive of at this point in our lives and experience we have, which is so constant, you know, as we said earlier, like it's something that's in my heart and mind and yours and in our lives and families and ministries. It's just, we're just bumping into it all the time. Sort of Mm -hmm. imagine, you know, being with Christ, his, his royalty, he, him being established finally as the true king yeah. and everyone else in submission to him and seeing 
that he is a good king. That this, in fact, this this occurred to me earlier today, and it blew my mind. This, this passage in Luke, where Jesus talks about serving us eternally, not not just here, but even on the other side. And, and you think, you know, in one sense, you could say, hey, Jesus, his willingness to sacrifice is what brought about our salvation, and it's true. I mean, he, he in the garden said, "Not my will, but your will be done." God, right? So he was he was dying to self, so to speak, in in dying for us. That's true. But it's also true that, and this is staggering, that his nature is to serve and give. For us, it's like, well, he did his serving. Now, you know, forever as king, it's like, well, he's up there, we're down here. No, his nature is to serve. His nature is to give eternally. Yeah, and, that's and mind-boggling. I, and, and I think that's one of the ways, it's an interesting picture that Ezekiel 37 paints of the Lord Jesus as that Davidic king. Yeah. He's the 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 David King that's going to come, but it calls him a shepherd. Yeah. A shepherd is not like exalted by the sheep. Like, Hey, um, how can we bow down and serve you? The sheep are still like pretty yep. incapable. Yeah. To put it my little, little bit, nicely, little yeah. bit dumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> little bit helpless, but he talks about how he's going to take the, the, people of God and place them under one shepherd, and he's going to establish an everlasting covenant of peace. Yeah, He's going to not only call us to peace, offer peace, but he's going to provide and sustain peace yep. forever. Forever. And, and a big part on, on our end of that, what's amazing too, is on our side of that, the reason we'll be able to experience that peace, receive it, and extend it perfectly in the other side is because we finally see him for who he is, and yes. we finally are convinced that we have in him absolutely everything we need and then some, you know, and, and that's, again, to put it mildly, like yeah. it, with infinite value, infinite worth. Uh, it, it's amazing to even just, you know, kind of grope around at, at that concept until we get there, can't even imagine. But it's uh, that's what alludes to in First John, where it says we will be like him because we see him yes. as he is. And so, so for now... We have, you know, we, as Paul says, we see in a mirror dimly, like we're aware of that, but so often we're not aware of that. This is our life. If we're honest, we go back and forth between clarity and lack of clarity. Mm -hmm. And so we would all love to have zero conflict in our lives, but that would require us either being out of this world in the next, which we're not yet, or it would require everyone in this world agreeing with us every second, which isn't going to happen. So, um, so we have this opportunity. Yeah. So, and and again, like probably th- this very day, we're gonna go about our merry way, right? Mm-hmm. Either at home or come back to church tonight. Yep. And we'll encounter something that that will give us an opportunity to see uh, not everyone being in perfect harmony and agreement. And how do we navigate through it? Well, remembering who our great God is. Yeah. And what he has offered to us in himself. And offering that to one another. Like I, I need it every day. Mm-hmm. I need I need to be reminded every single day that Jesus is my peace. And that I have what I need, as you've mentioned. And and we're gonna flesh it out in in, in real life. Yeah. We're gonna go home, have dinner. What's gonna come up at the table? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but what I want. And what I have granted to me is the opportunity to to offer um, 
that same piece. Now, I, I think it's interesting, and I don't want to get too far off track here. Yeah, yeah, go but, ahead. But James tees us up for chapter four and chapter three, mm-hmm. but he tees us up with God providing. So in like verse 17, he says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, peaceable yeah. gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Those are gifts that come from God. Yeah. And then he says in verse 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there's a receiving of wisdom and there's a receiving of a harvest. What is he asking for? Well, receive it and let it come out. And like that sowing of the seed, that sowing of Christ, that sowing of the truth that, that comes out, that is again, something that we've received. God gifts us with all of these things. And yet the very next thing he tells us is, yeah, but there are some conflicts that come up. Yeah, right. (laughs) There's a war within you. Right. But it's a war that God can settle by his glorious, as you mentioned, greater grace in verse six. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, We've covered a good amount in a fairly short period of time, I think. So I think that's a good place to close. Would you uh, maybe close us in prayer? Yes, let's pray. Father, you are so good to us, and we are uh, very thankful for how you've revealed yourself in creation. You've revealed yourself in your word, and you've revealed yourself in our lives through your powerful spirit. I thank you most of all for the, the clear revelation of peace in your son that you have offered to us the greatest gift of peace with you uh, that can't be taken away because of the, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We ask, Father, as, as we experience the benefits of your peaceful way and the grace that you offer to us, we pray, Father, that your peace would, in fact, guard our hearts from war, and would rule our hearts so that we might uh, dispense peace, offering others the same merciful Savior that we have received. We pray, Father, that that would result in fruit and benefit in our lives and in the lives of others for your glory's sake. Use these things uh, to encourage uh, and to comfort us in the things we face each day. We pray this in our great God's name. Amen. Amen. 